0: Hello, everybody. I'm Matt McCutchee, and you are listening to the Jazzies Podcast. everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call The Jazz's Podcast and is brought to you in conjunction with Jazz's Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. Over the years, guitarist, composer, Grant Geisman has lent his virtuosity to recordings by mainstream artists and has written and co-written numerous scores for film and television. His impressive string of pop and jazz recordings not only put his talents on display, they also helped define the contemporary instrumental music of his era. His latest album, Blues, is a stunning collection of new bluesy and jazzy tunes with several special guests that recently received a Grammy nomination in the Best Contemporary Instrumental Album category. In a press release, Geisman explained that the album offers his take on the blues, a fairly wide interpretation and not always traditional. He also says that this is the album that he has always wanted to make. We'll hear more about the record from the artist himself in the latest of our Jazzies podcast conversations coming up right now so fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air hello grant welcome to the Jazzies podcast
1: thank you matt nice to be here
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh yeah, really. Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on your Grammy nomination, a Best Contemporary Instrumental Album for Blues. You must be delighted.
1: I am delighted. You know, it's actually my 16th album and my first ever Grammy nomination. So... I guess I finally made a good album, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's, uh, you know, well, it's well overdue then, I don't know. I don't know how these things work, but certainly it must be a great, great honor, and I uh, wish you all the best with it. Uh, we'll talk about blues a little later. I- I've listened to it, uh, and definitely, I mean, I, I love it. And so um, I definitely want to get into it a bit later on. Uh, but firstly, you know, I also read an article about you in our uh, print issue of jazz is so this next question is kind of inspired by that uh article um because i realized that uh, you're also passionate uh, uh you have a passion for ec comics and mad magazine is that is that right
1: that is true i've actually written uh five books related to that subject of you know ec comics from the 1950s and mad magazine the latest one is is a giant coffee table book published by tashin called the history of ec comics and it's about i don't know 15 and a half inches high and it weighs 13 pounds it's this giant coffee table book you know dedicated to the subject
0: i did see that i mean i, I looked up some of your works as an author and i was really like uh, just, just these amazing works and uh yeah i mean i wanted to kind of ask you like you know uh, do you work uh, on your writing alongside your music? Do they somehow interact with each other? Do you see them, or do you see them as
1: entirely different spheres? Well, well, the two worlds are kind of separate, really, you know, because, you know, music people aren't necessarily into vintage comics, although the vice versa is actually more true. Comic people are more into music, but, um, they're, they're a little bit separate, but I always say, you know, Writing a book is sort of the same creative process as writing a song. You kind of get a little idea in your head of where you want to go, and then you start fleshing it out. And, you know, it's kind of the same kind of building blocks you use. It's just, you know, applied in a different way.
0: So what came first for you, your passion for music or your passion for comics?
1: <laughs> well, prob- you know, in a way, I suppose the comic things came first because I was about eight years old and some kids showed me Mad Magazine and I was like, what is this? You know, this is so cool and weird. And, you know, am I supposed to be looking at this kind of thing, you know? And I, and I was like, well, where do you get this? And they said, well, you know, you just go down to the drugstore. They have them on the, the rack, you know. And and I'm like, they would sell this to me? I mean, I'm only eight years old. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, just go buy one. So, you know, I had a passion for that stuff as a kid. And then I started playing guitar when I was around 11 And I was still buying Mad Magazine, you know, when I was practicing guitar and playing in bands. And, you know, and then actually, like most kids, you sort of outgrow Mad Magazine a little bit and then move on to Playboy or or National Lampoon or something. But, you know, at some point I decided I'm going to complete my collection of Mad Magazine. And not only that, I'm going to go find all the rarest collectibles, stuff you used to have to send into the magazine for and so I did that and I amassed a very large collection. And I had actually been in New York and I went in and met the publisher of Mad Bill Gaines. And not long after that, I proposed this idea of like doing a book picturing all these collectibles and describing them and, you know, little aned- anecdotes about them. And, and that happened. So that was my very first book that came out in 95 called Collectively Mad, which is basically the history of those things shown through their own collectibles.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's good to have, you know, a mix of passions as well. Cause if you only have maybe a passion for one thing, like for music, then, uh, maybe you get a little too obsessive. Do you find that it's, uh, sometimes allows you to escape or vice versa? You know, maybe the world of comics is a good escape for music, just as, uh, music is a good escape from the world of, of comics, of writing.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, actually when I was in, first year or two of college, I went and took a seminar with Barney Kessel, you know, the great jazz guitar player. And one of the things he said was, you know, don't don't be just so narrow focused only on music that you don't have a life beyond that, you know, have other interests and stuff. And I probably took that to heart too much. But, but, but I thought that was, you know, some good advice from Barney Kessel.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, you mentioned that you bought your first
1: guitar at 11 years old? I got my first guitar. Yeah. You know, it's not any secret how old I am. But, you know, when the Beatles came out, it was a few months into it. And then I, I started thinking, you know, guitars are way cool. Uh, and I started bothering my parents to get me a guitar. And this went on for probably six months. And I'm sure they thought I would outgrow it or give it up. But I kept bugging them. And so finally, under the Christmas tree, uh, I guess it would have been, I think, this yeah, December 1964, was a martin acoustic guitar you know because i had been bugging them and then uh the, i think the very next week you know we found a guitar teacher and i started taking lessons so you know i dove in right away
0: wow and were you uh did you, did you take to it right away some people you know for some people it can be a little challenging at first did you have to power through <laughs> you know just uh, at the very start
1: well you always have to power through at the start i mean you know i, I distinctly remember. Trying to play an F bar chord, you know, oh, if you're yeah. a guitar player, you know what that is, <laughs> and and it, it kind of goes clonk, you know. And I'm like, I'll never be able to play this. And then you know, you keep trying, and then one day I just remember it went bring, and I'm like, whoa, you know, wow. h- how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> so
0: and and you mentioned the Beatles earlier. Would they have been like your your main inspiration or your influence to get started on the guitar? Were there were there other artists that kind of inspired you?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, as stuff went along, I mean, the whole British invasion was a huge influence. But actually, even before the Beatles, I already thought guitars were cool because there were some kids that had a surf music band, like the Ventures and stuff like that, you know, guitar instrumental music. And they would rehearse right around the corner from my house. They were a few years older than me. And I used to run home after school if I knew they were practicing and go listen to them. And I, you know, I remember the sun glinting off the chrome of a Fender Jaguar guitar and thinking, you know, this is cool. And then when the Beatles came out, it's like, okay, that's it. You know, I need to have a guitar.
0: Yeah, that did it. And by the way, I mean, you've amassed quite a collection of comics. Can the same be said about guitars?
1: Yeah, it can. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the question is, how many guitars does one need? And the answer is always just one more. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, incidentally, I mean, just thinking about your album was the blues. Would the blues have been one of the first styles, one of the first genres that you would have learned on the guitar? Cause for, for a lot of people that, that would be the first kind of, in the beginning, you, you have to kind of learn the blues.
1: I don't think it was that way for me because I was learning out of a book, like Alfred's basic guitar book. So the first stuff I ever learned was like Mary had a little lamb, you know, reading the notes. Oh, and right. then. So I kind of got a, a little bit of stuff under my fingers and then I wanted to learn rock and roll stuff. And this uh, woman, you know, she's a very nice lady, but she wasn't really a rock and roll person. She was, you know, read the notes and whatever. And so yeah. we found another teacher who actually was in a band. I grew up in San Jose, California, and um, he was in a band called People. Um, A local band but they actually were signed to Capitol records and they had a hit with a cover of the zombies i love you um and actually they had a hit on that anyway so he started you know i would come in and i'd say i want to learn uh you know whatever some beatles tune and he'd say okay and then he'd show me the thing and uh so that's the first stuff i learned was more british invasion kind of stuff and i suppose the blues stuff happened a few years after that um i was exposed to like cream you know early early eric clapton and then from there i was like oh because they would talk about you know john lee hooker or you know just people that influenced them bb king and so then i went and found those records too and it's like oh i see where this is coming from but really my first exposure to blues was like second hand in a way through cream and, you know, early, early, very early Eric Clapton.
0: The track you are hearing is from Blues, the latest album by Grant Geisman. This is his 16th album as a leader and was released last year via his Futurism label in a joint venture with Mesa Blue Moon. Leading the way on this album, Geisman takes the listener on a stylistic adventure, exploring the blues genre in its many forms – We'll talk more about this Grammy-nominated album in a moment, but first, I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz Is, jazzis.com, and these Jazz Is podcasts. Go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. And now for the second part of our conversation with Grant Geisman. Uh, when we look at your your album you know, first of all, blues is is misspelled. You know, it's it's spelt B L O O Z Z or Z for you know, depending on what uh, geographical location you are, uh, just different pronunciation. But it's you know, for you you grammar enthusiasts listening to this podcast, the misspelling
1: is definitely intentional, right? A hundred percent intentional because I didn't want this to be marketed or perceived really as a you know like a straight up traditional blues album. It isn't. It's sort of my take on the various blues genres. And in my world, that's a very wide, it can be have a very wide definition, you know. It can be typical sort of three chord blues structure, or it can be, as long as it was bluesy in some way, I just let the compositions go where they wanted to go. And some of them are a little more traditional blues structure, but some of the tunes actually veer very far off the blues path harmonically but they're still bluesy.
0: Well yeah no exactly I mean I think you know listening having listened to the album
1: you know it's it's
0: just such a diverse range of styles and influence that you hear it's almost like no one track is uh, the same as the next you know or the same as another track in the album which kind of made me wonder I mean do you find that this there's a autobiographical element in the sense that It's all coming together, your your previous experiences, not only the albums that you recorded, but also, you know, your other projects collaborating with some of the all-time greats, but uh, also your work in film and television. So, are we getting a a personal portrait with this album as well?
1: Probably so. You know, and I, like you were talking about how many guitars I have and stuff, you know, on this album, it was perfect to bring out all kinds of different instruments, you know, like I played like a 65 SG on some stuff. Um, a lot of it was a 66 Epiphone Riviera guitar, which is kind of like a 335, but with little mini humbuckers. I played a 54 Gibson Gold Top. It's, it's blues. So I figured I can pull out a lot of different instruments. I can have a little more bluesy or even a lot more bluesy guitar tone, you know, and I, I embraced all that. So I think so. It's kind of like, yeah, it's the sum total of everything I think about you know this kind of blues idea b l o o z or z you know
0: but it's funny that you mentioned that because on top of uh as you said having used a different uh, range of guitars uh, you know another exciting thing about this album is there's so many great uh, you know musicians on it there's so many great guests. Well, uh, one of my favorite tracks on the record is 1G uh, and 2Js, the title of which is also, uh, you know, references to this very fact, uh, including Joe Bonamassa and uh, Josh Smith. It's a real treat. I-, I just wondered whether you could tell us a bit about some of the musicians that we hear on this record.
1: Absolutely. You know, apart from the people you mentioned, the guest um, Randy Brecker on trumpet is on a tune. Yeah. Russell Ferrante from the Yellow Jackets is on about half the record. Uh, Robin Ford's on a track. I did a tune, I wrote a tune called Robin's Hood that Robin and I both play on. There's a piano player called David Garfield, a buddy of mine around L.A. that's played with a lot of people. John Jorgensen is on it. Uh, Tom Scott, sax player Tom Scott's on a couple tunes. And, you know, it was just such a treat to have all those people kind of, you know, be willing to uh, be a part of this thing. And it's all people that I've had, you know, not only that I admire, uh, but also people that I've personally interacted with in some way.
0: So again, it's kind of, it kind of fits that theme of just revisiting the past a little bit, maybe getting a portrait of where you are right now and kind of reliving the chemistry of the musicians that you, that you play with on this record, right?
1: Yeah. And the other thing that happened with this record, we started recording it like actually just about a year, one year ago. And oh. it was right as kind of the pandemic stuff was finally lifting and you could you know, safely assemble a whole group of people in a recording studio at the same time. And so really, it kind of felt like we were all let out of a cage, <laughs> you know, and we were kind of like chomping at the bit to, to get going. And I think a lot of that, you, you kind of feel that in this project.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, a- another thing that I read too is that Blues is kind of a collaboration between your Futurism label, uh, and, uh, Mesa Blue Moon, uh, which kind of marks your return to a label that released four of your albums in the early 1990s. Does this return too have a personal significance to you?
1: It does. I mean, George Knoffel sort of took over Mesa Blue Moon, um, and he's the head honcho there now, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I, I had a nice relationship with them in the early 90s, and actually, um, you know, we did pretty well with those records. Like, one of them, I had a record called Flying Colors that was on Mesa Blue Moon, and it, it was actually the number one record at uh, radio in the States, you know, with regard to airplay for at some point. So, um, you know, I I had played on a project for George on another album of his, that you know, I don't know, a year or two ago, I guess, um, and he... I was talking to him a little bit, and I mentioned that I was getting ready to do this new project. And he said, well, you know, when you get something I can hear, I'd love to hear it. And so, uh, you know, I I sent him some stuff, and he's like, I want to release this. So, yeah, it became it's sort of my label, Futurism, which I started. Uh, this is the fourth album I've kind of done on my own. And then uh, with George's help, we got a little better distribution, a little better promotion, and so forth. So it, that's been a very nice thing to kind of re visit that relationship.
0: Yeah, right. I, and I actually wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, your, your own label, Futurism. Uh, what prompted you to, to get that started?
1: Well, I just basically wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, oftentimes, you know, I've had this in the past, you know, years ago, you're kind of on a label and they want you to do stuff. <laughs> you know, like they want you to cover a certain, they want you to cover something so you have something recognizable and whatever. And, you know, and I'm probably biting the hand that fed me a little bit here, but, you know, the smooth jazz, especially at radio, the smooth jazz format just became so ridiculously restrictive. Like, they would tell you that you couldn't have a flute or you, the guitar solo was too long. or You know, they wouldn't play your record unless you made these changes. And I was like, I I didn't want to be part of any of that. I just literally wanted to do what I wanted to do. So, you know... That's what i did and that's the luxury you have when it's your own label um the the luxury you don't have is that you know it's all your money so but you know i love that because i made four records that there's no caveat like this is exactly what i wanted this to be you know like it or don't this is what i want and and there was no like well you know we had to do a couple cover tunes to please the label or you know what so there was none of that. So that mm. that really was the kind of the beauty and and the nice thing about having your own label.
0: Here, here, it sounds awesome. Uh, well, Grant, it's been uh, great to talk with you, and uh, thank you for joining us. But since we are recording this interview at the beginning of twenty twenty three, I really can't help but ask you, what does the new year have in store for you? Are there any projects up ahead, and in music or in writing, uh, that you could share with us? Uh, and will you be hitting the road?
1: Well, you know, it's hard to hit the road at this point, you know, um, but I certainly want to do more gigs, kind of presenting my blues project. Um, a couple of months ago, we actually did a, a an album release concert at this beautiful theater in North Hollywood called the El Portal Theater, and we shot that with four cameras and recorded it, and so we're going to edit that up and maybe place it on YouTube or, I don't know, possibly offer it as a DVD or something. I don't know. I haven't got that far, but... Um, it, that was really fun. We, you know, played a bunch of stuff from the blues album and also some stuff from my earlier albums. And Tom Scott was our guest on that. So he came out and, and played some stuff. Uh, and it was super fun. So, you know, probably do something with that project.
0: Nice. Well, we watched this space. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank you once again, Grant, for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. It was a lot of fun talking with you.
0: Enjoyed our conversation with Grant Geisman, whose new album *Blues* is available now. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz's Vinyl Club. Join the club, and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyls mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzes.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from Grant Geisman's *Blues* fades us out i encourage you to keep an eye out for more jazz podcasts our print magazine and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website jazzes.com and if you like what you see you can always subscribe for more till the next time this is Matt Mikuchi signing off see you soon